So J then, not Wallace. Yes, I go. I go by my middle initial, uh, and the, the the boring reason is I'm the fourth person with the same name, and it's it's uh, it's short for Joseph. And just to keep everybody sorted out, I just got the got the letter. Oh wow! So not just like the fourth with the name, but in in with us still. So it gets confusing. Yeah, it's a little a little 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 confusing to keep track of everybody. And so my my mom didn't like the name. To boot, so she was just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call him Jay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was an act of compromise, the name. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jay, thanks for joining us. Um, for our listeners, you're tuned in to Building a Green Idaho, KRBX Radio Boise's weekly public affairs conversation at the intersection of people, place, and profit. I'm your co host this week, Remington Byer. And uh, relative to March, in which we've been covering snows and flows, my guest today is Wallace J. Nichols, J. Nichols, uh, an author, a researcher, and an advocate of Blue Mind, which is all about the positive effects that water has on our well-being. Uh, and we're going to get into that. So first, Jay, welcome to Building a Green Idaho. Hey, thanks. Thanks for including me. Yeah. Happy to have you here. Um, so I guess starting off with, with Blue Mind, some of our listeners may know you from your recent book of that title. Um, what is Blue Mind? Well, Blue Mind's a, just a simple phrase to describe a, a pretty intuitive concept, which is that you know, when we're near in, on, or even underwater in any of its forms, we generally feel better, you know, of course, if, if we're there on purpose, you know, if, it's, if we're, we're in control. Uh, so it doesn't. It does not refer to you know, a leak coming you know, through your ceiling. It refers to water that you you want to be near, and it's it refers to the the way we feel. It's a, a positive, generally generally relaxed, generally happier, and more connected version of ourselves. So, you know, think about your last great vacation, and chances are there was some water involved in in one way, shape, or form. Uh, think about the vacation you're dreaming about doing, probably the same. Or even if it's just a, a weekend break or you know, an, a, an after-work chill-out session. And I, you know, I know in Idaho, uh, like California, we've got lots of waterways, lakes, rivers. Mm-hmm. We've got the ocean. Lots of options uh, for getting our blue mines on, and lots of people really enjoy uh, just unplugging, uh, grabbing a fishing pole, grabbing, a, grabbing a, something you can paddle in, and, and going out there and enjoying it. So um, as a marine biologist, I've always felt that way, and that's why I became a marine biologist, was to pursue that feeling. And uh, I thought that there would already be a book about this, and when I went looking for it, um, in the library and, and you know, the bookstores, I didn't find it. And uh, I thought that was odd, because it seemed like a pretty big topic, our, you know, our brain on water. And... Um, tried to convince some other people that they should write it, and it was not successful. So I ended up uh, writing, writing this book myself. And it's the kind of the, uh, if you have an idea and, and nobody else wants to take care of it, sometimes you just have to go for it. It falls on you, for sure. Yeah. It, it seems intuitive, and, and I think I'd be, we'd be hard-pressed to uh, find someone who probably would dispute that there's been that feeling at one time in our life where we feel good about being around water, but beyond qualitative, you were able to quantify 
some of the ways that water can impact our brain. That's what Blue Mind really dove into. Yeah, so I got together with you know psychologists, uh, neuroscientists, neuropsychologists, you know, people who study human physiology and health and well-being, and just asked them what they thought of, of this. And you know, and I you know at the time when I was working on the book, there were a lot of studies related to our brain on music and our brain on happiness and our brain on stress and even our brain on relaxation and meditation. Mm-hmm. And even the studies on our brain on red wine, and uh, there were very few uh, studies explicitly about our brain on what researchers call blue space. I, we call water, but they call it blue space. Um, there are more studies on green space, which is another fancy fancy term for plants and trees and forests. Right. Yeah, uh, but I, you know, I kind of had to go searching for for the people uh, around the world who were focused on the blue parts of the planet, which seems kind of funny considering we're mostly a, a water planet, that that would be sort of a, a secondary interest. But um, I found them and pulled together what, what they had to say. And some of them are neurophysiologists, some of them are psychologists. Um, but what they found is, is, generally speaking, that being out in, in green space is good for us, but if there's some blue in it, it's even better. The restorative qualities of open space, uh, if it's blue, if it's watery, uh, are even better. And the reasons are, are pretty straightforward. It, when we, we step away from our, what I could refer to as red mind, and that's our normal, normal lives at work and maybe in traffic, maybe it's the technology that's got us always connected, uh, maybe it's politics, it's financial concerns, it's... Mm-hmm all the management that we have to do as, as modern humans uh, keeps us in a, at least at the very least, in a, a low-level anxious state, so uh, a, a sense of a little bit of stress and sometimes a lot of stress, and that can peak during the day or during the week. Um, but we need to step back from that and literally unplug, put our devices down, step away from the screens, and give our, our bodies and our brains a, a pause. And, you know, that's always been true, but it's especially true now uh, with, with the technology that's available and the, kind of the seemingly constant monitoring and incoming information about every, every, every up and down and every little blip in the, in the world we, we have access to. Yeah, and I want to dive into that a little bit with you, um, of what you were speaking of in, in the research and what you found and how you studied that, but I got to ask, it just comes to mind, uh, on our devices, on my phone, um, you know, the software on my phone now has a feature in it where it automatically flips to red light in the evening, so I'm not being exposed to blue light, and I guess I'm, I'm curious about these notions of color, blue mind, and red mind. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's stimulating. So I think that, you know, it's a the idea that that blue mind is all about the color is a little maybe a little bit misleading but the um being by the water and, and and you know blue light is is attractive and it's stimulating and it keeps us it keeps us alert it doesn't just put us to sleep uh but you you can probably relate to the the time that goes by kind of mindlessly when you're in front of a screen oh yeah and that there's a positive side to that in a different context like when you're on vacation, just looking out over, over water, 
and or fishing and you know time time takes on kind of a a whole new meaning and you you lose track of it you don't know if a, it's been a minute or an hour and so there's a there's an upside there but there's you know there's also kind of a a numbed out kind of downside and if it's a if it's a light emitting screen and you should be asleep and it's keeping you you know not not wide awake not attentive not creative but just just keeping you awake stimulated and it's robbing you of sleep uh, that's that's not such a good thing the, really the best thing you can do is not read off of a device at all and just look at a book and you'll be asleep. Well, if you're reading my book you'll be asleep you know, within, <laughs> within a 15 minutes but um, you know the a, a non light emitting surface is, is a better choice uh, in you know in those evening evening hours uh, and that you know that I think you you can imagine, like you know, how we how we were for most of human history. Uh, the sun went down, and, and so did we. Yeah, yeah, and then so did we. And then the sun came up, and we got up and got to work. Um, so we're we're living in kind of a very different kind of environment now that we've we've created with with the technology, and uh, you know, all of this stacks up to just be a reminder that you know to connect with yourself to connect with your place the place you call home and to connect with the people you love and care about uh, log out you know put put the thing in the glove box or whatever and and go find some water and do your thing whatever that is if it's swimming or you know surfing could be could be boating could be fishing um, or just chilling and and talking and looking at the water uh, it, it it puts you in a Puts you in a different state of mind, and uh, generally a very positive one. Yeah, I wanted to um, ask you about water, and is water a, a requisite for blue mind? Because it sounds like a lot of the things that you're describing are ways that we can recharge and and feel better and calmer by um, by focusing on what's near and immediate to us, and, and unplugging from the virtual. Um, and is water a prerequisite for that, or can we find the same therapeutic elements in an area without water? Maybe not. Maybe that's part of it. Yeah, I say I would say it, you know, water is not a prerequisite for this this state of mind that we're describing. You know, there there are people, scientists who study uh, people who meditate and look at the, the brain activity while they're just basically sitting quietly and being mindful, and they achieve something something similar. The thing that I found is that. That water can be a shortcut. So I, I know a lot of people who say, you know what, I just I just don't meditate. I don't know I don't know why. I don't really I don't really get it. I can't do it. Uh, I I can't I can't mellow myself out in my living room that way. And and so water is a shortcut. Water is the the way they get there. And and they don't call it water meditation. They just they call it fishing, or they call it uh, you know a walk by the by the river. Or they, you know, they call it surfing, or they call it scuba diving, or they call it a bath. But it's it's the same basic thing. And so water gets us there. Um, art, music, uh, everybody's got got their own thing. So, you know, for me, it's it's water. And I know there'll be some people listening who are nodding, going, for me too. It's, I'm, I'm a water person. And there'll be some people who say, you know, I'm I'm more about about the peak of the mountain. That's my spot. Hmm. Or um, Music. I get out. I get out my my guitar, and and I'm lost in in creativity and connectivity, and I, I just I relax. And 
it's not a competition between mountains and music and water. <laughs> Actually, that's like more of a red mind mentality. Um, I love music too, and uh, I'm standing right now in the Santa Cruz Mountains, so uh, by a creek. So it's 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 all of the above. And because I'm a water guy, I wrote a book about water. But uh, it's you know there are many pa- many paths to to this uh, relaxed, mindful, uh, more more connected state. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So you said that you wanted to write this book and you looked for someone to assist uh, and then you found out that you were going to have to do it on your own and thank you for doing that. Um, could you tell us a little bit about some of the research that you were able to observe and describe for the readers uh, that you learned of by contacting these different n- neuro psychologists and neurologists and people studying the brain and the, the brain on water. Yeah, so that, you know, the, the different ways people can study, study human behavior and study this stuff is, you know, the first and easiest is you just ask people questions and you, you write down what they say. It might be a survey, it uh, could be a multiple choice, it could be um, sort of an open, open-ended uh, interview or narrative. And if you talk to enough people, you get a big enough sample size and then you, you sort of Get some get some numbers together and, and make some conclusions. So that's that's probably the simplest, least invasive way. The next thing you can do is you can put people in an environment and simply measure their breathing rate, their heart rate, uh, their skin temperature. So basic the basic stuff that you would you would do if you were going to a doctor for an appointment. So your your temperature, your heart rate, your breathing rate. Um, you can also look at eye eye movement, and so you can have a device that looks at eye movement as a proxy for attention. Um, so that's still pretty uninvasive. But then you take it to the next level, and you can have people spit in a tube or draw some blood and look at, at their chemistry. So look at the levels of hormones, like cortisol that is a stress hormone. Uh, so then that's a little, more, a little more involved. It starts to feel a little more scientific when you're taking samples from somebody. Mm-hmm. And then it gets really, really more high-tech, and that's when you put uh, an EEG in it uh, that measures electricity in the brain. Uh, it's like a cap or a node that gets attached to the skin of the head, and you can measure really the really fast brain activity that's going on. And the advantage of the EEG is that it's mobile, and, it, and even since writing the book, that technology has gotten better. So you can put a waterproof uh, wireless EEG pad on somebody's head, and they could go out on a boat, or they could go out on a surfboard, and you could measure their brain activity. And I guess the most clunky uh, and, and expensive approach is to scan people's brains in what's called an fMRI, a functional FM, M- MRI uh, machine, and that's the big kind of upright donut that you get, you know, your whole body goes into and your head gets scanned. Mm-hmm. really loud, and you get these beautiful uh, brain image, images, and they look at the flow of oxygen in your brain. So oxygen is the proxy for brain activity rather than electricity. And the best studies kind of put it all together. So you talk to people, uh, you look at their f- basic physiology, your, their vital signs, and then you, you measure their brain activity uh, both out in the environment and then in the lab. And so that's kind of, if you took my, my book as a whole, I've got studies that meet 
all those, those different descriptions. And they all kind of point in the same direction that when you know, what people say actually matches what, what happens uh, in our brains when we're, when we're in nature. So there are studies of um, groups of people who are, are being looked at while they, they walk around in a busy city. Uh, and then they're compared to a group of people that's walking around through a park. And then that gets compared to a group of people who are walking in a park by the water. And not surprisingly, uh, the stress level of people walking around in the city and the distractedness is, is much higher than those walking around in, in the park. Mm-hmm. And you add the water, and it's even better. And that, you know, that all seems, seems really obvious, but sometimes we need studies like these to remind us that, hey, Kids, every once in a while, need to get up out of their chair and go outside the classroom and just go running around in nature. Uh, and if they don't get to do that, their brains don't develop in, in the same way as they could. And without putting a, a, a value or a judgment on it, uh, we, we, need, we need that open space. We need to move in three dimensions to develop uh, every region of our brain. And, you know, increasingly we see kids are uh, not learning how to find, find directions if they don't have a, a device in their hand. They're, they're not looking up as much. They're looking down a lot when they're walking on the street or when they're walking uh, through a neighborhood or, or even through a park. And that changes, changes the way we learn, changes the way our brains develop. And we're about to find out what that means for society. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, my, I guess my, my uh, recommendation or prescription is, again, get in the water. Just that's it's as simple as that. Get, get outside. The water doesn't doesn't like electronics very much. <laughs> electronics, the other way around. Electronics don't like water. Don't like water very much. And you have to you have to leave it on the shore or, or at home, and just play. If you're just tuning in. You're listening to Building a Greener Idaho here on Radio Boise. And this week, uh, I'm your host, Remington Byer. I'm having a conversation with Wallace J. Nichols, the author of Blue Mind and an advocate for um, better understanding of our brains on water and the the therapeutic uh, aspects of it. Stick with us. We're going to be right back after this brief message.